Welcome to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. Every Friday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Pacific and online at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Would you risk everything, your future, your citizenship, even your life, to help a brother in need? In 1948, just three years after the liberation of the Nazi death camps, a group of Jewish-American pilots answered a call for help. In secret and at great personal risk, they struggled. They smuggled planes out of the United States, trained behind the Iron Curtain in Czechoslovakia, and flew for Israel in its War of Independence. As members of Makal, volunteers from abroad, this ragtag band of brothers not only turned the tide of the war, they also embarked on a personal journey of discovery and renewed Jewish pride. We're joined today by the director of this wonderful film called Above and Beyond, and that would be Roberta Grossman. You would know her from such films as Hava Nagila, the movie, Blessed is the Match, The Life and Death of Hannah Sinesh. She joins us to talk about the small group of brave men and women who changed the world. Roberta, welcome to Film School. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for being here, and tell us a little bit about um, how you came to this story. Uh, well, we just had released our film, Havana Gila, the movie, and we're enjoying uh, the response to the movie and having a vacation, and I got an email from somebody with the name Spielberg, <laughs> uh, and I got my attention. It turned out to be Nancy Spielberg, yes. Stephen's sister. Uh, and she had read an, an, an obituary of a man named Al Schwimmer, who was considered the godfather of the Israeli Air Force, uh, and it told the story of how American World War II uh, pilots and others smuggled airplanes out of the United States and smuggled pilots out of the United States to fly those airplanes uh, to help Israel in the uh, 48 war when they were being um, invaded by many Arab countries, including those that had sophisticated air forces provided by the British, um, but Israel didn't have an air force. Um, so that's the story that she decided she wanted to tell, and she was looking for a director, uh, and she hired me and ultimately hired our whole team, including the writer, Sophie Sartain, and the editor, Chris Callister. And we've worked as a group on several films before. Mm -hmm. Did, were you familiar at all with this story? I was not familiar with the story because uh, the story has really not been told. Yeah. Um, the pilots that went over, uh, the American pilots uh, that went over, and mechanics and others, um, they were violating the U.S. Neutrality Act in order to go, mm. um, and they were also engaged in, in you know, the very illegal business of, of taking U.S military aircraft out of the country. So when they did this and when they, those who survived came home, they didn't tell the story or brag about it much because they were afraid they would land in jail, which some of them did. Mm -hmm. So it, wasn't, it hasn't been an, a well-known story. And although I know something about that period of history, and that, in particular that period of Jewish history, I didn't know the story at all. Yeah. I'm going to name some of the men and uh, who are involved. Uh, Leon Franco, Coleman Goldstein, uh, Lou Leonard, uh, George Lichter, Gideon Lichtman, uh, Harold Livingston, Milton Rubenfeld, pardon me, uh, 
Al Schwimmer and Smokey Simon. Now, we're, and there are many of them were still with us. Um, or I mean, was there was there are all of them still with us today? Uh, of all this, the no, group? several of the well. First of all, the the people who you mention are the people who are in our film. Yeah. Um, and they really are the remnant of the American volunteers who, flew, you know, who volunteered for the Israeli Air Force or the volunteered to create the Israeli Air Force, really. Right, right. Um, there were about 190 of them, Americans, and there were others from South Africa, Canada, and other places. Um, but of the, one, the Americans, of that, about 190, there are very few uh, left alive today. And our guys were, were some of those few. Well, let, let's set up this this scenario. So uh, the state of Israel has been established, uh, and as Jewish people from around the world are moving into the country, is correct my history if I if I veer too far off the path here. Okay. As as this is happening, the surrounding Arab countries are beginning to mount a, a military uh, offensive against these these people coming in. And they have virtually no equipment. And what did they have? Like two planes or something? What was what was their sort of their ability well, to find? Had, Israel or then Palestine had a um, a small, not an air force. Uh, I don't know what you would call it. A, an air brigade um, that was mainly made up of uh, non-military planes. There was before the official 1948 war started. Once Israel became a state, there once the partition um, plan was put in place by the UN, um, many months before that, uh, hostilities immediately broke out between Jews living in Palestine and and Palestinian Arabs, and the planes that were there were used to drop, you know, like Piper Cubs and that kind of thing. We used to drop supplies to settlements that had been cut off. Gotcha. Jerusalem was um, besieged and supplies couldn't get in on the ground. The so supplies were dropped by, by the little airplanes as well, but there was no military aircraft. Um, and But it wasn't until Israel uh, established itself or declared itself a state uh, in 48 that the attack actually occurred um, the very next day, and that included uh, Egyptian uh, um, the Egyptian Air Force bombing Tel Aviv and other places in in uh, in what was then Israel, um, and it was only then that planes could come from where they had been perched waiting um, in Czechoslovakia, and they began to come. The few the few Messerschmitts uh, or refurbished Messerschmitts uh, that they had gotten a hold of through Czechoslovakia began to come into Israel at that time. I, I would say, ironically, Messerschmitts were right, being used right. uh, in this situation because that was, for people who don't know, that was one of the uh, fighter aircraft for the uh, the, the Nazi Nazi Germany. So uh, now I, the, one of the more fascinating of stories, I believe that uh, Coleman Goldstein is, is talking about the uh, the flight from Europe to, uh, he was, was it with Leon uh, Frankel? I can't remember the two. Coleman Goldstein and, and Lou Lennart brought in the first bigger airplanes. Actually, they brought those in before the state was established secretly. Um, mm-hmm. And, yeah, they, they talk about flying over the, the, ocean. the ocean for a very, very long time. 11 hours and with a single engine plane. <laughs> they right. An amazing. And he says it was the stupidest thing they ever did, which... <laughs> It probably was. Well, yes, but it, it again throughout the film, above and beyond, uh, uh, there are many stories of of people doing things that might seem a bit reckless or, or uh, a little bit out, certainly well outside the norm, 
Uh, but uh, their sense of duty and their sense of uh, fellowship with their uh, with the people of Israel, uh, the the budding uh, state of Israel is is permeates this entire film, and it's such an important part of the story. Uh, having um, so so they they fly there. They are the the, the what we call ragtag group of guys who are have decided they're gonna they're gonna be a part of this. Tell us a little bit about how long it took for this part of Israeli history to be settled. In other words, how long were they in an armed conflict with the with their neighbors? Uh, the forty eight w- war ended in forty nine. Okay, um, and it it went on for that for that about a year um, with some um, a couple of different truces that were brokered by the UN in between. Um, and pretty much the forty eight war is being fought to this day well yeah there I mean, there is there is this thread that that throughout the the history of the state of Israel that to this day correct now um tell us uh, okay, so I want to go back to 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 talking about uh, the the men that it, you were able to um you, you are a part of this film um finding them was this part of what what part of the process uh, did uh, did that take um was well, I mean, finding them was, was really not that hard because the guys have stayed in very, very close touch with one another. Um, they all talk about this being the most important thing they did in their lives, and the sense of friendship and camaraderie that they built during this, this period of their lives stayed with them um, throughout their lives. So once we were able to be in touch with one of them, we were in touch with all of them that were still alive. Mm-hmm. Um is for, I want to remind our listeners we're speaking with uh, Roberta Grossman. She is the director of the film Above and Beyond. Now, you mentioned uh, uh, early on uh, Nancy Spielberg's involvement with the film. Tell me a little bit about in terms of her, uh, what she was hoping to accomplish or, you know, what, what it sounds like she was a very active part of the filmmaking process. Tell about oh, her Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, the film was her dream project. It's her passion project. Uh, she decided she wanted to make it. She wanted to make it. She hired us to help her do so, um, and she uh, raised all the money to make it. And she was very, very hands on um, throughout. She was the uh, the driving force behind the film. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, what do I mean? What did you learn? I mean, what 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 surprised you? I guess would be a better question. What surprised you about this story in terms, just in any any aspect of? Uh, the relationship with the men that they had, uh, the, the, this part of uh, Israeli history that's not well known. What was the thing or couple of things that you learned in this? Uh, I think the thing, one of the things that I learned uh, in making the film was how fluid American Jewish identity was at that time. Mm-hmm. Um, before World War II and before the knowledge of the Holocaust really settled in and before the creation of the State of Israel, American Jews were really focused in large part on assimilating um, really very um, patriotic Americans, as they still are, um, but they weren't as focused on Jewish identity as um, as they were perhaps on fighting what was then in the 30s especially prevalent uh, anti-Semitism, but they certainly weren't thinking very much about European Jews or about um, the, uh, the 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 pioneering Zionist movement um, in Israel. I mean, the most American Jews were not Zionistic, were not uh, really working 
actively to create a state in a Jewish state in Israel. But that really all changed um, when uh, American Jews became really fully aware of what had happened in the Holocaust. And as uh, the survivors were trying to get to Palestine and being prevented from doing so by the, by the British, as well as the knowledge that the British had prevented millions of Jews who could have gone there once Hitler's uh, genocidal aims became apparent, people couldn't get out because there was no place to go. They couldn't go to Palestine. They weren't accepted by other countries. Um, th- those, those two things, that, that, that knowledge um, and that anger fueled our guys to go over and help Israel right. get on its feet because they were really afraid that there would be a second Holocaust, and they just didn't want to see that happen, and they had the skills to help prevent that. Um, and their whole sense of their identity and of their Jewish identity, their Jewish, Jewish American identity, changed. But you know, it wasn't just them; it was uh, it was a whole generation of Jewish Americans whose identity um, changed dramatically uh, because of those two events: the Holocaust and the birth of the state of Israel. Well, that is, a f- and that's fascinating. Um... And you brought something up that I, you know, would not have thought about before, and that is that the recognition of the Holocaust took some time to sort of sink in, or the the scope, I guess, uh-huh. uh, throughout the world, and probably here in America. I'm, I mean, it's a part of history I'm just not that familiar with. Looking mm-hmm. back from the vantage point that I stand here today, and as a right. as a young man, it, I think there's an assumption that everybody knew. All right away, or everyone knew, you know, what, sort of this processing of what the, the scope of the depravity that occurred in Europe during that period of time. It took some time for the world to recognize it, did it not? Is that what uh, you're kind yeah, of? Yeah, I mean, people people knew, and especially, I mean, governments, people in government high up knew a lot more. Yeah. yeah. Um, but uh, scholars often say that there's a difference between information and knowledge. You could have information, but um, it doesn't mean that you understand it or fully comprehend it. Yeah, yeah, and so in that sort of in that lull, if that's the right word to use, between forty the end of the world war in forty five to forty eight, uh, the world was certainly had. You're right; they, they was, the information was there, but I think oh, by five, by forty five, yes, there was people knew. Yeah, and and you bring it was earlier that it, it uh, you know, during the war itself that it 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 wasn't fully sinking in. Right. Well, I want to remind our listeners. Speaking of Roberta Grossman, the film is above and beyond, and I just want to go touch on this a, a little bit because you've touched on it with your own work be- before. That idea of of uh, I don't want to get away from too far away from above and beyond, but I just think it's important for people to understand uh, the the inform that that were enough people in positions of power and responsibility to know what was going on uh, in Nazi Germany and the death camps and all the rest of it. I, it's just, it's, I, I don't even know if I have a question here, Roberta. I just, it, it's, when you think back on this period of time in our history and the world's collective history, I, I, it's still hard to, to imagine. It's hard to process even now when you think about it, but I mean, do you have any thoughts on, you know, you mentioned England, and there's a lot of speculation about the Catholic Church and all that. Uh, is, I don't want to go down a rabbit hole here with you, but is it, films like yours are telling another part of the story in a sense, but uh, I don't know. Have we learned? Are we learning? How um, are we well, become? Well, that's the frustrating thing. I mean, I, I understand your, 
you're I think I understand what's motivating your your question or your yeah. statement, and that is, you know, why wasn't more done yeah. when it when it could have been done? And I, you know, I I don't have the answer to yeah. that to that question. It is a very difficult question. But if you even look at our own time, um, what what are you and I doing, or our governments doing today, to address the fact that Boko Haram has you know kidnapped you know six months ago yeah. uh, and continue um, you know all these you know hundreds of girls. And where are they and what's happened to them? Or, yeah. you know, what are we doing? What did we do to prevent, uh, you know, the, 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 the genocide in Darfur? And yeah. what have we done? And, you know, I, you know, and it, 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 it's a difficult, difficult question. Um, and and the, the ability to have information, you know, instantaneously around the world has not, probably has helped. Um, but it hasn't changed the fact that people are still incredibly cruel to one another, and it's overwhelming to figure out what you know what we can do about it as individuals or as Americans. Yeah, I mean, you, you know, Boko Haram going and wiping out villages, uh, you know, ISIS or you know ISIL or whatever they're called. I mean, the, the there are some yeah, the seriously. As I said, depraved impulses in 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 our world, and you're right. I don't know exactly, except that we do now possess the ability to to say you 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 can't say you didn't know. Right. I, and so that's I don't know true. if that's a step in the right. It is a step in the right direction, no doubt. But um, you know, films like Above and Beyond, again, just by by their sort of by making a film like this, the. It's the reflection of the previous, not so you know, previous history of the of these brave men who, who who did risk a tremendous amount to go, and um, stand side by side with people who are just trying to establish themselves in in a in a civilized way and make a make a way for themselves and their families. It's, that's an important story, and it it does contribute uh, to the sense of humanity. We we need to be more and more about you know showcasing. The humanity of all of us to make 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 sure these things are more difficult to occur in the world. I, I guess. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. Well, um, uh, now I'm going to let our listeners know that they can find out more about uh, Above and Beyond by going to aboveandbeyondthemovie.com. They can find out there, and they can find out about screenings. I know it's opening here in Los Angeles. Uh, it's opening at four theaters here today. Yeah, it's going to be uh, at the Sunday Sun. Sundance on the Sunset Crescent Heights, the Lemley Royal, the Lemley Encino, and the Lemley in Pasadena. Are you in town? Uh, yes, I am in town, and we're going to be doing Q&As uh, at the Royal Encino and the Sundance uh, Theater this weekend. People should check those theaters to see what screenings are going to have Q&As. And they, yeah, they can check the Lemley sites. They can check the, the different sites that they'll have, that information. Right. Have we posted that to Above and Beyond um, as well? For, for yeah, you? it's on our website, okay. aboveandbeyondthemovie.com. Fantastic. Well, uh, uh, congratulations, and can, congratulations to you and Nancy for uh, for the story, to bringing the story to light. Uh, and and as always, uh, you, you with your body of work as a documentary filmmaker, you've done some remarkable work and continue to do so. And thank you. Thanks a lot. Thank you so much for being here today, Roberta Grossman. The, the film is above and beyond, and uh, we'll look forward to to uh, more work from you. Thank you. Thanks very much. Take care.
You've been listening to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. You can find out more about the program at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you next week with another edition of Film School Radio.